Well, good morning again, church. I don't know if you knew this. Um, something's happening in two weeks. Anybody want to make a guess? Thank you, Pastor Dave. Easter, yeah. Just waiting for the correct response, yeah. Easter is on the way, and we are excited about that. Um, we love celebrating Easter Sunday, or we call it Resurrection Sunday as well. You, whichever one suits your bill, uh, everybody calls it Easter. I look at it as Resurrection Sunday. It is the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, many of you decorate for Christmas, and you sing those Christmas songs, and you know, we just, oh, we get so excited month out, right? Then Easter, it's like, boom, it's here. Been warning you, been preparing you, okay? So here's what we do, preparation. And, and, you know, some of you may do eggs or decorations. Just start preparing your heart. Just every day this week, Lord, prepare me for Easter Sunday. Uh, pray about who you're going to invite, um, who you're going to share with, and encourage that day, and just uh, prepare for uh, God to be at work as we celebrate the resurrection of his son. Uh, one of the joys that I have in, in not only pastoring a church, but also I work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, as a director. I get to travel around and do a lot of work with a lot of teams and athletes and coaches. And um, there's times when I'm blessed to be able to show up to work with a team and, and bring them something. Whether it's food or candy or something along those lines. And uh, whether it's Chick-fil-A or candy canes, whatever it may be. And some of you are like, whoa, did you say Chick-fil-A? Yeah, I know, right? Um, I'm thankful that they were able to deliver all the way from Toledo, all the way over to Defiance College. Uh, a few years ago, I was talking to their team about legacy and about um, the owner of Chick-fil-A, how he is a Christian man, and how he has left a legacy with what he's doing with his business and, and, and to be giving and so forth. And, and then as an example, I said, and here they are with their generosity, uh, like, like 150 chicken sandwiches. I mean, the football team, coaching staff, they were like, is this heaven? It's like, no, but I can tell you about heaven. Um, but they were so excited, and they had their Chick-fil-A sandwiches. So the next week I showed up, and I brought with me some Snickers candy bars. And again, they were so excited because they're thinking, Rex is going to feed us again. Oh, this is awesome. And they were getting totally fired up, and I could see it in their eyes. But then I spoke to them about this. I said, you need to learn to compete with a hunger. And if you are satisfied, you will never compete. And if you all know what's on the back of a Snickers candy bar, it says what? Satisfies, right? So I said, therefore, I can't give you this Snickers candy bar because then you'd be satisfied. And that was the end of my talk. Oh, you should have seen their faces. <laughs> Take note, if you're going to talk to about 80 college football players, make sure you end on a good note, okay? Not a disappointing one. But they got the message. Um, but is that thing of, again, we know that chasing after food or victory on the scoreboard will never satisfy us. It's something to, to have fun with and to chase after, but it, we will never be satisfied. The things of this world never satisfy us. We're learning this from John chapter 4. We started last week talking about the woman at the well. I want to recap it for you uh, from the book of John again. Um, Jesus and his disciples, they leave Judea. They're going to head up to Galilee, but on the way up, they have to go to a place called Samaria. Samaria, if you remember, is a, is a portion of land which these Jews... Back when they were taking captivity, some that were left, they intermingled with a different race. It became a different ethnic group. 
They worshipped other gods. They brought that into their culture. So the Jews looked at these people as half-breeds is what the term they used. They're like, we don't like Samaritans. So the Jewish people would go around Samaria instead of going through it. Didn't want to talk to these people, right? So we learned in the story that Jesus cuts right through Samaria. It says he needs to go through Samaria. So we read in the scripture that it was hot. He was tired. It was the middle of the day. Comes to this well. He sits down by the well. He looks at his disciples and says, you guys go on into town, get the food, get lunch, get everything you need. I'm just going to sit right here. I'm tired and I'm thirsty. So the disciples take off. As they're on their way, this Samaritan woman passes them on the same road. She comes up and Jesus starts having a conversation with her. We looked at that last week and different things as he started this conversation. And we said, or maybe I'm the one that said it, okay, that we're a lot like that woman at the well. We're all seeking. Seeking to find something that's going to satisfy what's inside our hearts. Trying to figure out, like, what will make me happy? She was seeking all kinds of things, but basically love from different men. Trying to fill that void, that gap. She was broken. She was broken spiritually. And basically, last week, we came to the conclusions that we're all like that woman at the well. We were all broken in some sense or manner. Matter of fact, if you look on the screen, 1 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 1, starting in verse 15, Paul has something to say. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save sinners, right? Now, this is what Paul says. Great theologian, writer of many books in the Bible. He said this, and I'm the worst of them all. What? Paul, you, you're like the top guy in the New Testament besides Jesus. I mean, all these books and all these things, you're, you're a deep theological thinking man. You're close to God. And what does he say? I'm the worst of all sinners. He comes out and admits it, right? Look at verse 16. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience. And even the worst sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen, who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. When you read that scripture and you look at what Paul has to say, I'm sitting there saying, thank you, Paul, because I feel pretty bad myself at times too. I thought I was the worst of them, but thanks for taking the bottom, okay? But I'm probably right there with you, brother. All sin separates us from God. That, that's a, a truth. Okay, it's not an opinion. It's a truth. All sin separates us from God. Your sin that nobody sees, that you hide. My sin that nobody sees, that I try to hide. And the sins of people that people do see, it's all sin. It's all sin. It's all seen by God. And it separates us from God. And we've become really good at labeling sin, don't we? We're like, well, that sin's not as bad as that sin. And that sin, ooh, that's a really bad sin, right? We label sin. Why is that? Because we don't want to feel so bad about ourselves or what? All sin separates us from God. No matter how it's labeled, no matter how it's packaged, seen, unseen, it separates us. The pleasures of life are nothing but drinks of stagnant water that leave us thirsty. For more. They, they don't satisfy. The pleasures of life are fun at first. That's why they're called pleasurable. But they don't 
satisfy. You soon find yourself chasing after that which doesn't fulfill. And then you soon have a reputation like the woman at the well. Driven by shame and condemnation, she's now going to a public well to draw water when the public isn't there. Because she feels guilty. She's ashamed. She doesn't want people to know it's her. Because everybody knows, oh, she's the one that you know. But we see Jesus reach out to this woman in the most incredible way, don't we? We looked at that last week. Here's Jesus. He reaches out to her, has a conversation with her. And he didn't stand there asking for anything in return. He just says, I'm going to give you some true love. I'm going to give you what will satisfy the soul. He offered grace. He offered mercy. He offered truth. No strings attached. He sees our thirst, church. He sees our brokenness. He looks at what's going on in our lives. He knows. And he says, I've got something that will satisfy that. Open up your Bibles to the book of John. And let's go to verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. So again, he's sitting by the well. This woman comes up. He asks for a drink of water. She's once in a like, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We're not supposed to be talking. And that, I'm a woman and you're a man. We're not supposed to be talking. And he goes, well, if you only knew what I had to offer, living water, you would never be thirsty again. And then she's like here, verse 15. Well, then, sir, give me that water. I want that living water. I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here and get water. She's thinking literal, right? Or figurative. And now verse 16 goes, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Ooh, verse 17. I don't have a husband. The woman replied. She said, "Mm, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband either. You have certainly spoken the truth. Wow. Jesus confronts the sin, doesn't he? But he does it in a very sensitive way. It wasn't a slap across the face. He doesn't avoid it either, though, does he? He sees the sin. He knows what's going on in her life. And he welcomes the conversation. He has something to say about it because he knows this. He knows that our sin hurts us. And he would much rather be in somebody who loves us, say, because I love you, I will confront this and talk about this instead of avoiding it. He looks into our hearts just like he looked into this woman and her heart, just like he looks into the heart of Moses and David and Peter and every other biblical character you can think of. He looks into the heart of mankind and says, I see that sin. Let's deal with it. Let's let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. You've got a rebellious heart. You've got a disobedient heart. And here's the thing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. See, this woman thought she could hide it. Jesus saw it. What did he say? Go get your husband. Oh, that's all it took to open up the conversation. Sort of like if God were to come to you and I and say, hey, why don't you go get your bank account? Hey, why don't you go get your social media account? Hey, why don't you go get your computer? And we're like, oh, you don't want to look at that. Because <laughs> if you look at my social media account and you see the pictures I posted, I would be so ashamed, Jesus. He goes, I've already seen it. I've already seen it. I already know what you look at on your computer. I already know what you post on the... I, I already know your conversations. I know what you do when you turn off the lights at night and nobody else. I see it. I see it all. 
And he doesn't sit there and wiggle his finger at this woman. He says, I know. What you're saying is you're speaking the truth. And it's no surprise. He's got her attention now, doesn't he? Just like if he confronts us and we're like, oh, yep. What's her response? Same response I would have. She tries to change the subject. She tries to shift gears and sort of get out of that, that lane now, that conversation with, with Jesus. Let's go a different direction. She goes, look at the verse there, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Here's the thing. When we realize that we are a mess and then we're in the presence of God, We'll do one of three things. We will run from God because we don't want to deal with it, right? How many times have you seen people stop coming to church? Some of us in our lifetime, we have stopped going to church because something happened in our lives spiritually. We knew we were off course. And instead of confronting it, we just run from it. It's, it's easier to not go to church and, and feel shamed or guilty or to hang out with Christian people where you're going to feel shamed and guilty. So I'm just not, I'm just going to avoid it all, right? So that's one thing. We can run from God. Here's the other thing. We can maybe hear what he has to say and um, get all religious. Like, well, I'm going to start reading my Bible 20 times a day and read five times and pray five times a day. And, and I'm going to get super religious. And I'm going to do, 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 right? So I'm going to do all this stuff to get super religious. So I'm either going to run from God or I'm going to really err on the side of doing a lot of religious stuff. So I look really religious, okay? Or here's the third thing. And that is what she said. How or where do I go to get right with God? You Jews say go to Jerusalem. Samaritans say go to Mount Gerizim. Where do I go to get right with you? Where do I go to get right with God? I need to know to go where to worship. Jesus says, listen, it's not about a place. It's about a person. Verse 25. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I love this. So modern day, this is what would happen. Hey, I've I've heard the Messiah's coming, and uh, please, please tell me now uh, when he comes, and he'll 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 explain everything to us. And Jesus, like, I am he. Drop the mic, right? Okay. Um, That would be a sort of modern day version of it, okay? Because that's what he did. He's like, I am. And she's like, oh. It's, it's a beautiful thing what Jesus does here because it sort of goes over our heads maybe. We didn't, we didn't catch it. He's basically doing this. He's claiming to be the Messiah to her. What he says here when translates, he, sometimes in, when we make translation from the original Hebrew or Greek, things get added or changed a little bit just to help us make a clear understanding. So what happens here is there's the word he that is actually added in to help us understand, but you really don't need it because of the way it's originally translated, it just says, I am. When's the last time we heard that? Remember back when Moses in the burning bush and God and Moses in the presence of God of that burning bush and God and Moses like, who should I say sent me? He goes, I am who I am. Tell him, I am sent me. I am Jehovah, God. And Jesus basically says, that's me. I am. And she realizes 
who she is in the presence of. She's in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the name above all names. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-11. You might want to write this down and come back to it. But it says, God elevated Christ to the highest place of honor, that at his name, above all other names, every knee will bow. The name of Jesus Christ is a name above all names. It is the Lord. And, and so as he is saying this. Everything's clicking, right? And at the same time, oh, here comes the disciples. The disciples are walking up. And, and when they return, it says nobody said anything. They're like, oh, Jesus is with a woman. She's a Samaritan. Oh, that's the woman we were dissing on when the other earlier today when she was walking. We walked by her and we're like, ooh. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't say something. Maybe they're sitting there going, oh, is, he te- is she telling on us? Why, why is, why are they, why are they, what are they talking about? But they didn't say anything, because that's what we do sometimes, right? We're like, uh, let's just not talk about it. And they didn't. Look at verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Here's three things I want you to get out of this passage, okay? Because this is where it starts kicking in where we are like that woman at the well. So how do we respond to all this? Once we discover who Jesus Christ is, once we discover he is the Messiah, it should change us, church. It really should. It shouldn't be like, oh, I I prayed that prayer to Jesus. All right, what do I do tomorrow? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you really believe he's the Messiah? Here's, here's the next reaction we should have as a church. She says that what? It says what? The woman what? She left her jar. The first thing she did was she left that water jar. Now, is there a meaning behind this? Maybe, maybe not. Because I look at it and the water jar is a meaning of life to people back then. You want to survive? You need water. Okay, it's a very dry, you need water. So if you're only receptacle for taking water from one place to the other and you leave it behind, that's not a good thing. So I'm looking at it thinking, why would she leave that behind? Because she was in such a rush to go do something else. She left it behind. Could it be though that also that water jar represented what? Her stagnant life. Her prior life. The life of these things will satisfy me. And she realized that won't satisfy me anymore. Only Jesus will. Maybe that's why she left that water jar behind. But I think the other thing is this. She knew she was coming back. Oh, I'll be right back, Jesus. I got to do something with what you just told me. I'll be right back. So she left behind the water jar. Here's the second thing I noticed is that is this. She runs back to the village. I love the fact that John put this in here. He didn't say she went back to the village. She ran back to the village. When's the last time you ran to go tell somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you had a sense of urgency like, I need to get there and get there now to go tell them about Jesus? When's the last time we felt that way? I'll get to it tomorrow. Uh, There's no rush, right? Not with this young lady. She got it. She's like, he changes everything. And I need everybody to know that he changes everything. And she runs back. Here's the last thing is she told everyone in that village. Everyone. Why does that matter? Because she was the immoral one. She's the one with a bad reputation. She's the one everybody looked about like, did you hear about Churchill? Yeah, yeah. That was her, right? So why would she want to go talk to anybody? Unless you got something really good you want to tell everybody about. 
she didn't care what everybody thought of her because she's different now. She didn't wait for her reputation to get better. Well, I can't tell people that I made a decision for Christ because look at the way I am and the way I was. It doesn't matter the way you was or the way you were. Correct English, please. You're different now. And because you're different, live different now. Some of us think we need a PhD in discipleship to start living like a Christian. No, you just need a new life in Jesus to start living like a Christian. And she's like, I'm in. I'm going to go tell her, but I don't care what people think of me. I want everybody else to have the same living water that I have. So she goes back to everybody and says, hey, you need to come see this man. Can you imagine some of the people right away like, come see this man? Oh, is this man number seven? Did she get some harassment? Did she have some guys roll their eyes? Or like, whoa, whoa, tell me some more. What do you mean come see this man? What about this man? Tell me what about. Look at verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Let me say that again. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Let me hear you say streaming. Is streaming a trickle? Is streaming a drip, drip, drip? No. Streaming is a flow. It's a fast current. It's a movement. It's a massive movement of a bunch of little things. Drip, drip. Oh, yeah, let's go back and see Jesus. No, there was a streaming of the village. All these people are like, we want to see what you're talking about. And they flooded out to go see him. They came to listen. Look at verse, look at verse 39. They came, they listened, they wouldn't leave. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of the woman, what the woman had said. He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at the village. So he stayed there two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. They came, they listened, they were changed. Isn't it amazing that this immoral woman with a very bad reputation, filled with shame, searching for something in her life, brought a whole town to Jesus? Isn't that amazing? We think we got to be like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or some awesome evangelist or preacher or big name speaker to, to bring people to Jesus. No. You just need Jesus in you to bring people to Jesus. That's what she had. She had the living water in her. Look at verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. See, they listened to this woman at first, which was important. They listened to her, though, long enough to know what? To turn to Jesus. See, we get to sort of be the ones who blow the trumpet and tell people about Jesus. But now it's up to the work of the Holy Spirit in that person to do the rest. And it's up to that person to decide what they're going to do with what they just heard. Our duty is to go share the truth. What they do with the truth is up to them. We leave that up to the Holy Spirit, right? So what do we learn from this story? What do we see? There's obviously a great deal that talks about brokenness in here. As I said last week, we are like that woman at the well. I want to remind you again, this Friday, 7 o'clock, Mo Isom, that video you saw last week, she will be here sharing her story and a lot more. For any of you that are like, man, I could relate to that story so much, or my kids need to hear that story, or a friend needs Bring them. It's a free event. But there's so much more beyond this brokenness. And we learn here about the 
the character of God. Yeah, the character of God. Sort of a, wait, we're going to talk about God? Yeah, because you, you have to see this. We have to understand who God is because a lot of people misunderstand God. Some people think God is like a mean God. Something goes wrong in your life, who are you going to blame? Oh, God. There's problems in this world. God's fault. Oh, my health, my situation, my finances, God's fault. When somebody's die, when somebody dies, that's God's fault. God took them. Let me remind you this. Death is the nemesis of God. Death is the adversary of God. They don't hang out together like, hey, let's go grab people and kill them. God hates death. God came to what? Give life, to give us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus defeats what? Death on the cross. So when somebody dies, it is definitely sad. It's tragic. We, we mourn at the loss. But thanks be to God, thanks be to Jesus Christ for defeating death on the cross, we can have eternal life. When somebody dies, it's not that God took them away. It's that God rescued them from the clutches of hell and now escorts them into the presence of him in heaven. When we have this truth, it changes everything, right? So what do we learn here? Here's one of the first things I learned out of this story at the woman to well, is that God's heart is to reach everyone. Let me hear you say everyone. Look at the person next to you and say everyone. Oh yeah, and again, if you're sitting by yourself, just look at a group of people. Everyone, right? okay. I know, it's so awkward. Everyone. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world. Does, does the world include everyone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever, that's everyone, believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life, right? Everlasting life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Verse 17. Nicodemus, is he part of that? Yeah, and he was a rich religious leader, right? The Samaritan woman, is she included in everyone? Absolutely, and she's this immoral woman with a reputation. So from whatever distance you go, the highly religious to the not religious at all, God has a heart for everyone. He didn't come to condemn, but he did not come to condone it either. It's very important we, we hear that truth. He doesn't come here wiggling his finger at us, making us feel horrible, but he doesn't also come along saying, hey, boys will be boys, it's okay. We're just going to overlook that sin. No, he doesn't condone it either. He didn't come to condemn us. He does not come to condone us. He comes to save us from it. When the disciples returned, what did they do? Look at verse 27. If you're still there in John chapter 4, look at verse 27. What does it say? What does it say? They're shocked, right? They're like, what? He's talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? They did just, just not talk about it, right? Why was Jesus talking to her? Because she's a part of that everyone. There was no one there to take pictures to impress. Like, you know what? I'm going to witness to this lady so the whole world will see that I am a super nice guy witnessing to this lady. It's sort of like, here's the deal. You're walking down the uh, sidewalk. There's a piece of trash there. You may not pick up that piece of trash, but now you're walking down that same sidewalk with a couple people that you're maybe trying to always impress, and you see that piece of trash, and you're like, I got this. And you pick up, and you look like the good guy because you're picking up the trash, right? Let me ask you this. Would you have picked up that trash if nobody was around? That's what Jesus did. The disciples weren't around, and he was picking up the trash. He was there saying, you know what? You're not trash to me. That's why I'm picking you up. You matter to me. 
Even if nobody else is around to see this, you matter to me. There's no spotlight, nothing to gain from it. But that's the love of our God. Good news is for everybody. Sometimes we look around in our society and we say, well, that person is super rich, so we got to reach them. Or that, that person's an all-star or a stud, right? Or studette, you know, okay, if I talk to the ladies. Or that person down there, they're poor, they're homeless, they're different, they're, right? And so we decide who we're comfortable in talking to and not talking to. I read this from a different author, and he said this, Do the well-off, the popular, or the rich need Jesus just as much as the poor? Yes. Just as the lesser need Jesus, the more, the better off need him too. The poor man thinks that the high tower of the wealthy is a long way from the flood. So it is, but it's a lot closer to the lightning as well. They both need God. Bottom line is, we're all sinners. We've all rebelled. We've all made mistakes, right? We all need a Savior. And the woman at the well, the religious leaders, no matter who it is, we are all in need of Jesus. We're all in need of Jesus. What if that woman at the well was the next Mother Teresa, the next Billy Graham, the next big evangelist, and Jesus never talked to her because she's a Samaritan? Here's the thing. She was. Remember? She went back. She ran back to the village, told everyone, and everyone came out, and many believed. She was the next Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, throwing your favorite evangelists, right? How do we know that the person we reach out to, share God's love with, may not be that next? We don't know unless we take what God's given us and share it, right? God's heart is to reach everyone. Here's another thing we learned about God in this passage. God's heart is to save us and put us on a new course. Here's two simple words, grace and truth. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Truth is when you look at what Scripture tells us and we've got to get that right. It's called saving and redeeming. It's like, I'm going to save you from destroying yourself. I'm going to show you grace. But I'll also show you the truth, so stop sinning. There's some churches that preach grace all the time. It's all it is, grace. God is love, God is love, God is love. Let's just love one another. God, like God, 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 love, 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 right? Don't worry about the sin. Whatever. God's grace covers all sin. You got other churches on the other end of the spectrum that's like, it's all about truth. Listen, do not sin. Stop sinning. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And if you break a command or you swear, oh, you are a backslider and you need to get saved again. You probably have seen both spectrums of the church, haven't you? And Jesus says, I'm talking grace and truth. I'm going to give you something you do not deserve because God is love. But here's the thing. You also need to understand that we should not be living a life where we're always out there sinning too. Grace and truth. They come together. He saves us, he redeems us, and he says this, I'm putting you on a new course of life. That old life that you thought found satisfaction, it doesn't, right? Here's the third thing. God wants to satisfy the longings of the human heart. He really does. What did she, what did she long for? What did this woman at the well long for? She longed for what? Love, right? She was looking for love in all the places. Yeah, you all know the song. Okay, good. 
Yeah, she was. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. Love wouldn't satisfy her heart. A lot of us think of, that will satisfy my heart. But money, money will satisfy my heart, right? But here's the thing. If I get money, guess what? I want more money, right? How about your job, your position? Well, if I get that raise, guess what you want? You want the next position. When I first started coaching as a volunteer, it's like, I can't wait to coach at the high school. Ooh, I'm the JV coach. Ooh, I'm the assistant head coach. Ooh, I'm the varsity coach. And at that point in time, I was like, man, I want to be like to coach college, right? There's always that next step, that longing for that next thing, never satisfied. You're like, you know what will make me satisfied? If I get married. And then you're married, like, oh, if I have kids. And then you're like, if I get rid of the kids. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out what makes you happy, right? How about possessions? How many, you know, how many shoes, how many cars, how many, if I, the more I get of this, the more I get of that, the more I collect of this, I will feel so much better. And you find out you're just chasing. Our deepest brings, longings, are filled only by God. Only. Not a place, not a position. So in this story, we discover that God's heart is to reach everyone. To save us with his grace. To put us on a new path of life, which is truth. And to give us satisfaction in the heart. So Jesus gave up the throne room of heaven, came down, became man, tired, thirsty, sat by a well. Why? Because he was compelled to show his love for us. It's not about what he just does for us. The question is now what are we going to do for him? See, we can, we can hear the good news, but what are we going to do with it? If you're the woman at the well, she did something with it. She ran and told the village and brought them all back, right? We hear the good news and we're like, what? Oh, that was cool. Can't wait for next week to hear some more. Shouldn't we do something with that? Are you compelled by God's love to do something? Are you sharing your faith with someone? It's like, well, like I said, i got to get my, my Ph.D. in Discipleship 101. Some of you in this room, you've been Christians longer than the disciples were disciples of Jesus Christ. Those disciples hung with Jesus three years, and then he said, go tell everybody, right? And he actually, in the first year, was telling them to do that. Some of us have been Christians for like 30, 40 years, and we're like, well, I'm not ready. Why not? You're a disciple. You're a disciple longer than Peter was. Let's do it. Let's go share. You know, at Christmas time, we read the story of the wise men. And what, what, what did they do when those wise men showed up when they first met Jesus when he was just a, a little child? What did he do? First thing was what? He worshiped. They worshiped, right? They came in and they said, you are worth something. You have done something. You, have, you are the Messiah. You're the one that came to save us. They recognized who he was. And they're like, let's worship. Tonight is worship. Six o'clock, a special evening. Worship is just coming in and saying, you're awesome. Thank you. You're expressing the worth of God back to him in song and prayer and scripture, whatever it may be. And then the second thing is they brought him gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. They're like, because you're worth something, I'm not just going to worship you. I'm, I'm giving a part of me. We're just saying, I surrender all. They surrendered all of what they had. Here's the thing. The only time we should be running from God is when we're running to go find somebody to take back to him. That's the only time we run from God is when we're going to go grab somebody else and bring him back. We are compelled by his love to do two things. Worship or witness. His love should compel us to do those things. So, church, if, if I was to step down, 
Jesus comes in, because if he came in, I'm definitely stepping down, okay? Jesus got up here, he'd probably look out of us and say, hey, you're all like the woman at the well. You've all struggled in life. Trying to fill your life with stuff that doesn't satisfy. Living water. I've got it. You need it. Stop sitting by this well. Take what I'm giving you. Go out into your village. Go out to your city. Go out to your community. Go out to your ball fields. Go out to your schools. Go out to your businesses. Go to your homes. Take this good news. Go. I believe that's what Jesus would say to all of us. I believe that's what he would say to all of us. And ask the worship team to come forward. I want to share a story with you. True story. Okay? Not that I would share a fake one. Okay? But I heard this story the other day, and I thought, oh, this is an awesome story. And, and I could have only imagined being there while this story is going down. And, and, and um, so I'm, I'm, I, I had to share during the first service. Um, Mike and Rhonda Borton, and, and Mike has this uh, septic system business. And, and it's like, I just make sure you all know I'm not talking about Mike Borton, okay? Um, because the man's name in the story is that his name is actually Mike. And, and he owns a septic uh, business. And um, so the story goes like this. Um, there, there was an elderly lady who uh, was having some problems with her drain down in her basement from the water softener. And it was draining into the wrong uh, pipe. And it was not draining very well. And they said, well, that's because you need to drain it into the city sewage system. So it can handle that water softener. So they're like, okay. So she called up uh, Mike and he comes in and he looks over the, the system and says, yep, it's going to take this much, this many parts and so forth. Not a, not, a, not a problem. I'll take care of it right away. So he started working on it, and after around an hour or so, he's like, you know what, I left my glasses at home. Can you read this for me? So this, uh, this lady in her mid-80s is trying to read the paper and helping him out. And then he's like, after a little bit of working on it, he goes, hey, you know, uh, I don't, what do you got going on for supper tonight? My wife and I'd like to take you out to eat. Now, this gentleman and his wife, uh, they're, they're midlife. They, they had no kids, and so they always just love to bless people. So they were going to take this elderly lady out to eat. Now, remember, he's just there to fix her drain, okay? And so he's like, I'll be back. My, uh, my wife will be back about between 5 and 6 to pick you up. All right. About quarter to 6, phone call. Him running late. Might be about 6.30. Well, it was about 7, 7.15 when he finally showed up. Uh, he had parked his septic truck outside her house, and he still had his coveralls on, and he was sitting out there scraping off mud. At least we thought it was mud. Off of his uh, shoes. And... Um, uh, he was waiting for his wife to show up. She shows up, and not only does she show up, but she also has her mother with her. So another, you got these two elderly ladies um, in, in their mid, late 80s, and they're in the back of the car and, and with him and uh, his wife, and off they go to eat at Red Lobster. <laughs> and he's still wearing his coveralls. Now, for me, I just think, think that's funny, because I've always thought of Red Lobster as a very nice place to eat. I don't look to see... An, an Amish lady, another elderly lady, and a man and a, a woman and a man in his coveralls sitting at Red Lobster. Well, he got up and he went into the bathroom to wash his hands. He's like, oh, I probably should wash my hands before I eat. And I'm thinking, dude, yeah, but your job of work, you probably should. And he realized he had coveralls on. He's like, oh, I probably should take these off. And so and I'm sitting there thinking, nobody probably smelled it anyway because Red Lobster smells like fish, so it probably smelled it anyway. But they sat down to eat, and then she was getting ready to pay. He's like, I got this. And he, because he did invite her out to eat, right? So he paid for her food. Went back to the house, dropped her off. 
And uh, he said, let me go down and double check to make sure everything's running correctly. And he did. And then she goes, we have the bill. And he goes, well, here, this is just for the parts only. I'll cover the labor. What you can do is the money that you had paid me for labor, just put that money in the church offering. I do this for everybody that goes to our church. I, I'll take care of the parts, but my labor's free. Just give it back to God. That's all I ask. And, and she was floored by this. Here she had a problem in her life that needed to be fixed. Some guy comes in, fixes the problem, takes her out to eat, and then doesn't charge her full, full price. And I thought about that story, and I just thought, man, isn't that so much like our lives? Our lives are pretty stinky, aren't they? They're pretty messy at times. And Jesus Christ comes into our lives and says, I'm going to clean it up. Not only am I going to clean it up, I'm going to take you out to eat. You'll be a guest at my banquet. You're going to feast with me. I'll pay for it. And in your life that needed to clean up, I'll pay for it. I'll take care of the labor. All I'm asking you is to give back to the church. Give back to God. He's come into our lives, hasn't he? He's given us a lasting, long relationship, eternal life, living water. And I believe all God says is, drink of it. Now go tell everybody about it. Church, I want to encourage you. We're two weeks away from Easter. A time when people are pretty open to listening about religious stuff, right? Share your relationship. Share your relationship who Jesus Christ and what he's doing in your life with as many people as you can. What are you waiting for? Let's get out there. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. What a mighty God you are. I thank you, Lord, that you've come into our life and you said, let me clean up that mess. I'm not even going to charge you anything. I'm going to pay the price. And you did so with your son, Jesus Christ. All we have to do is accept that gift. But when we accept that gift, it should change us to the point where we stand here and say, I have been given something incredible. I must respond. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me this. How can I pay you back? I know I'm going to go tell everybody how mighty, how awesome God is. So God... Compelled by your love, I ask, Lord, that you help us as a church to share your love with others. Clean us up, God. We ask for that forgiveness. Clean us up. But God, now give us your spirit and boldness and courage to go out and share the truth with the world. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.